Hello, and welcome to Deconstructor Fund's This Week in Games podcast. Now, this episode is brought to you by LabCave. And LabCave is a mobile growth company that provides app store optimization and mediation services for apps and games. And most importantly, the company has achieved more than 200 million organic downloads without running any paid acquisition campaigns. Now, LabCave has tested almost every solution in the market while realizing that none of them were built with app developers in mind. That led to the birth of a product with, a, with the goal to provide a flexible yet powerful solution to efficiently manage in-app inventory. Now, LabCave strives for full transparency and control, providing the right set of tools and advanced reports in order to make the right data-driven decisions, making sure publishers can ultimately increase their ad revenue. I'm sure all of us are ready and pretty much primed to increase our revenue. So I suggest that you visit labcavegames.com. It's a really cool product. And on and on their website, labcavegames.com, you can learn more about their mediation and organic growth services. So check out labcavegames.com. And without further ado, it's This Week in Games. everyone welcome to twig 45 today we are joined by eric kress adam telfer and myself uh, joe kim and today we're going to be covering four different articles the first is apple arcade 4.99 per month is likely for family access to 100 games by VentureBeat. secondly we're going to cover respawn ceo apologizes for devs who insulted apex legends fans by polygon Third, GameStop lays off 120 or 14% of total staff by GameIndustry.biz. And finally, Sony agrees to acquire Spider-Man video game developer Insomniac from Bloomberg. So Eric and Adam, we're, we're back. It's been, uh, it's been a little, little, little bit. Um, how are you guys doing? What's, what's, what's going on? Well, just, Eric, how was your vacation? Two weeks in uh, London and Paris. Uh, wow. And it was awesome. Um, now, I've obviously been there before, but it was first time for the kids. So that was really good for them to see what those places are all about. I think uh, we came away liking London a lot more than Paris, but, uh, um, but nonetheless, it was a really good time. I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing really against Paris, but I really enjoyed London. You know what was really crazy is that, like, I know historically people have given shit to uh, London about the food, but I didn't have a bad meal in London. I, I, I was blown yeah. away. I mean, even the pub food, like shepherd's pie and fish and <laughs> chips, and we went for a curry and all that other stuff. Like, I, I'm, uh, I, I, might, I think I'm going against the stereotype that London doesn't have food, or maybe it's just something that's happened in the last five or ten years since I've actually been to London. But uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. I had good experiences, you know. No, I agree. No, yeah. Who who says London has terrible food? I don't. That's what I. I don't know. That's a stereotype I've known forever. And frankly, we didn't have that much good food in Paris. So I was, you know, I don't know. And we yeah, were. I'll agree with you we on Paris. But, yeah. What's that? I said I'll agree with you about food in Paris, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know about London. Anyway. Um, now, my side, I, I just want to give a shout out to, to Iron Source. We had the, the GPM forum in Vancouver, which was excellent. And I think we're going to have the next one in Montreal. So if anyone wants to hit that one up, in, in, which will be in October, 
uh, feel free to give me a, a DM in Twitter. But um, yeah, let's let's jump in. Adam, you want to start? Sure. Yeah. First article. So let's talk about Apple Arcade. Um, so um, as GamesBeat actually recorded or reported, uh, there has been a leak from the iOS 13 code, uh, which basically pointed towards Apple Arcade being priced at $5 per month. Um, and if you uh, don't remember, Apple Arcade is basically Apple's subscription service specifically for games, uh, premium games, uh, which gives parents access to hundreds of games for the price of $5 a month. Um, the big push for this is that it's all family friendly um, as well as privacy friendly. So um, no free to play, no microtransactions, no analytics. Uh, this is very much like taking some of the best uh, premium titles on iOS, pulling them into a subscription, as well as adding new games exclusively over time. So think things like Monument Valley, um, these types of things. Um, one also uh, thing that the article talked about was that this $5 a month will actually be shareable within the family. Um, so you just buy once um, and it'll actually go towards every member in your family. Um, this is actually unlike Apple Music and Apple News, um, the two other subscriptions that Apple has. Um, so this is one of those special cases. Um, so in terms of my take here, uh, we've covered this a lot before. We've talked a lot about subscriptions. We've talked a lot about uh, how you actually create value in these and how we can actually make these models work. Um, but this to me gives me absolutely no faith. Um, this $5 per month just gives me no faith in this. Um, what I'd actually love to do is sit down with Apple <laughs> and actually take a look at the unit economics on this is to actually model out how many subscribers you would actually need to make a subscription at $5 a month viable for any of the developers inside of it. Uh, map that to how many families they think are actually buying games on the app store because you already have that data source and then map after that X percentage cut that Apple needs to take. Uh, I've heard something like 50%. Uh, I could be wrong on that, but I've heard 50%. That that remaining 50% is actually then gonna be split between the developers. Uh, this math just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, it's also still a little bit unclear about the dev model, um, whether it's gonna be some sort of like pay for engagement or something else. So uh, similar to Spotify, you're getting paid based on how many times you, your song is played. Here you'd be paid for something around how long people play your games. But I think we've already talked about that before too, where it just incentivizes the wrong types of games for the platform. Um, but it's still splitting $5 subscription doesn't really give me any hope. Um, it's likely that the situation here is gonna be that most devs are just gonna eat up these upfront payments from Apple to join the service launch a game and then move away when it's when Apple's no longer directly funding it anymore. But yeah, that's my take. Eric. Yeah. I don't know. Just yuck. You know, <laughs> <laughs> games are terrible. The price is ridiculous. I just think the service is just a bad idea. Just generally speaking. Um, and even if it were successful you're to your point, how do they get paid? You know, is it by time? You know, some games require insane amounts of time. Others are much shorter, most more compelling experiences. I mean, that, I don't know how that model works for games. You know, TV and movies are very consistent in their formats, right? 30, 60, two hours. You know, games are just a different animal and, and there's certain parts of the subscription model that don't make sense for games. Um, and again, you know, the big points we made earlier is that premium games represent an absolute, like very small fraction of a percent of the market and 33% of that is Minecraft. Um, you know, conversion in the app store is so low that even getting people 
people to pay $5 for shovelware is kind of a Herculean task, right? Um, and also Apple is only part of this market, right? Maybe half, if that, um, in terms of dollar volume. And you can't leverage these games on Android because you're contractually unable to do so. But even down the line, if you were able to put them on Android, they'd be duped and sideloaded if, if they're any good almost immediately. So that's not a viable market. Um, and lastly, you know, the most established IP on the planet, Mr. Mario, converted about 2% of its 226 million downloads. <laughs> so if you can't convert on that game, what makes you think you're going to convert on some of these like no-name um, games that they're coming out with? So I, I personally think this is going to be an epic fail, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, at least the $5 price point is better than the rumored like $12 price point, which made no sense whatsoever. Um, and again, if maybe if they like bundle it in or, you know, have some kind of bundle Apple subscription, but again, even if they were to see, you know, significant success, uh, to your point, Adam, is like how, I don't think any of these pub publishers are going to get paid. Um, and they're just going to get the guarantees. So I don't know. What do you think JK? So for me, I, I applaud Apple's intent of arcade, but you know, and, and to your point, I, I think the pricing is favorable. So as, as a consumer experiment, it will be interesting to see. I mean, we, we won't be able to blame pricing if, if, if the service works or not. But fundamentally, as we've already discussed in the past, subscriptions for games is a difficult problem. The, consum the consumption model isn't like video. And um, so I guess from my side, I, I hope this service can carve out some market and survive because fundamentally, I do think that you know, some way of helping promote a non-free-to-play business model on mobile, I think, is 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 a good objective. But yeah, I, I'm going to have to agree with you guys in the sense that I don't think that this specific model gets it done. I and and so if if it if it doesn't work, I hope that um, Apple thinks of some other way of helping promote uh, you know a non-free-to-play business model. But um, yeah, that's that's my thoughts on that, and so. Moving on to the next article. The next article is Respawn CEO apologizes for devs who insulted Apex Legends fans. And this article was from Polygon. And so uh, as we reported a bit on this last week's twig, um, Apex launched an event called the Iron Crown event that upset some fans. And then Respawn, including some Respawn devs, got on Reddit to talk to fans. Unfortunately, for those new to Reddit and not prepared for the toxicity that can happen there, things got ugly. And when some Respawn folks made some comments in reaction, including some name calling, media sort of jumped on this. And you know, some of the comments you, you can argue were a little bit extreme, like you know, calling players asshats and freeloaders. But it, those comments were also taken a bit out of context. And since then, Respawn CEO Vince Zampella, as per the title of the article, apologized apologize to fans via Twitter. And for me, I thought Vince's reaction was actually just right. So he did include an apology in, in that, you know, I, I think he does need to um, let fans, let players know that they did go a little bit too far in terms of uh, the reaction, but he still stood behind his team. And so when we discussed this last week, I, I actually did want to cover this again, because after thinking more carefully about the situation ap after our last twig, I felt we should have also gotten behind and supported the devs a little bit more. I mean, 
you know, Reddit is, it, it can get pretty ugly. And there are some internet haters out there that are about as bad as you can get. So I'm really glad that Vince is a kind of CEO who backs his, who backs his team and who didn't overreact to some of his, you know, what I would call very human reactions by his empl employees to some of the, the, toxic, the toxic stuff out there. Anyway, Eric, what do you think? Yeah, I was actually kind of sorry to miss this discussion last podcast. Um, so I'll add my couple of two cents here. Fundamentally, when you're running a free-to-play game, you're catering, catering really to the spending audience, right? You don't really care about the crybaby care bears that get their feelings hurt because they don't want to spend money, you know? And for some ridiculous item, cosmetic items, this is what they're complaining about, right? It has no, absolutely no impact on gameplay. So why don't people understand this business? Like this is, is the business, right? So I'm not saying the way they designed it was perfect, right? The event, clearly, you had, I think you need at least a way of earning this stuff in game, which I don't think they provide. But I bet you dollars to donuts, though, that they, they made more money this month than they did last month during their, you know, during, um, because of this event, right? Despite, you know, these crybabies that are just bitching and moaning on, on Reddit because they just want to be heard, you know? So... Now, on the flip side, clearly this, this guy lost it, right? This, um, um, this respawn employee, right? Uh, you know, but it's really hard to get so much flack for this, you know, for days and days and days, and he just lost it, right? And part of this is the same problem that I was saying really early when we were talking about this, is that they're, they don't have this level of sophistication from, from a, a free-to-play uh, services type business. Like, this is not what they're used to doing. So... They're used to actually dealing with an uh, audience that absolutely loves them because Titanfall was such a beloved game. Their, their, their community was so over the moon, you know, in, in love with them. So dealing with the toxic community is something they just haven't had, right? We had to deal with this stuff all the time at Kabam, right? We were like, you know, putting out fires constantly. So anyway, free-to-play is just a different business. And it's a little dirtier, right? So if you're catering content to the top 5%, you know, then top five percent of the four or five four or five percent that are converting like that's who you care about not these guys on freaking you know social media just going nuts you know so anyway that's kind of my quick take yeah um i have to agree with you jk uh, as well i think even last week on the podcast um i definitely took more of the take around you know following up with the sensationalized media around this event uh, and even talked about like what we would do, how you would distance yourself from that team. And I think the, the response here from the CEO of Vince was really, really good. Because uh, I know even myself, I've, I've been in situations like this in the past. And it's very, very easy, including what I said on the podcast last week, to have some sort of knee-jerk reaction to these types of things. Um, but the fact is, yeah, like that these guys are going to be able to, to, to walk away from this, wait it out a little bit here. Um, and be able to kind of bounce back from it um, now, at least after about a week of, of looking at the data. Um, but still, I guess going to Eric's comments here, um, I'm, I'm a lot more moderate at this. Um, I, I agree with this response, and that the key, of course, is that the dev just shouldn't have lashed out, um, even though, of course, I agree with his comments. These, these communities are incredibly toxic, and it feels like a impossible battle to make them uh, happy at all when it comes to MTX. Um, but I also don't agree um, that you can just ignore Reddit or the community of your, of your free players. Um, because I think you just have to find a balance, especially on console. 
because on mobile, I would definitely agree. Um, like in your time with Kabam, et cetera, um, a Reddit community is really only a small piece of the picture, um, but you can really do things like UA to actually grow away from it. So if players are dropping out of this small Reddit community, um, you can always go and target players uh, through UA to kind of pull new players back into your game. But discoverability and growth for something like Apex um, is on the back of streamers and word of mouth. And I think there's a really, really good reason why Apex, when it was first launched, that they didn't really cross any lines when it came to monetization. The furthest they went was with the, the loot boxes, um, but they didn't start adding weapons to loot boxes. They didn't go as far as something like Call of Duty. They wanted to make sure that they were in good standing, at least with the streamers. So um, at least with the thinking about the fallout of this event, I don't think their core audience is affected at all, even though they might have complained, I wouldn't expect their engagement to actually change at all. Um, and it looks like Respawn is going to be able to actually weather the storm and actually still launch cosmetic driven events in the future, uh, because they have to, I think this is most likely where they're going to be driving significant revenue growth over the next uh, year. Uh, and if you look at things like League of Legends, Dota, CSGO, they've definitely gotten away with a lot worse to be honest. So I would just kind of point to all this and just say that this is just another example of how MTX design, especially on console, is incredibly fickle. I work in this every day and I've messed up in the past and I definitely feel like designing MTX around PC console is a complete minefield. Um, trying to figure out where the line is in terms of cosmetics, pricing um, is not an easy task and even just benchmarking on other games, like I said, League and Dota, um, is, is not, uh, isn't going to work anymore. But yeah, that's my thoughts. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Wait, so you're basically saying that you can't do best practices on League and Dota and mobile for a console? You don't, you think that's a recipe for disaster? Is that what I, I think if you start, if you benchmark to League, Dota, CSGO, and you pretty much take their events, uh, take how they price some of their cosmetics and pull them into your game, uh, it won't work. So in the case of something like CSGO is actually a pretty easy example. Like they have an in-game marketplace, right? Where they sell cosmetics that are well over $60,000. Um, but because it's actually an in-game marketplace like eBay, uh, players actually find that that's legitimate because you know somebody's will trying to sell that on the eBay site. It's not like they're blaming Valve for that. That's just that player putting it up. Gotcha. And the fact is that those items are so rare because of the systems that they built. Uh, based on loot boxes that, yeah, $60,000 could actually be the value if you really enjoy that game. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Does it make sense? Yeah, I, it makes sense. I'm just worried. I think you actually made this point earlier, so I'm just stealing it from you. What I'm worried is that Apex is going to take this feedback from these idiots and um, <laughs> and uh, and stop doing this, right? Because, but I think money talks, you know, but I, but they shouldn't stop doing this to your point. I think this is the way that you make money in this business and you cater to the audience that's actually really engaged in playing your game. You know, if, if they start throwing things out there that unbalance, you know, imbalance the uh, gameplay that that's another thing, but if it's just cosmetic, then just stop, you know, I mean, why not throw that yeah. stuff out there? So um, from a, from a, from an EA perspective, I think um, this is a smart, Smart promotion, smart uh, event, and I hope they continue doing it and don't get you know scared because of these you know this small contingent of people that like to complain. You know, so we'll see. Yeah, no, I think with this event, if they like, it, they'll they have to do it in the future. They have to create these kind of cosmetic events. I think that's the easiest way to kind of improve their revenue baseline. Um, but in the future, 
what I would take at least from learnings from this, this backlash is creating enough of an earnable track, right? That you can yeah, actually right. earn all the cosmetics in the event if you put in crazy amounts of hours, right? How many hours of that, that's still backlash inducing, but at the same time, you still yeah. should be able to earn that. But that was kind of, that was kind of the blowback for Battlefront, right? I mean, the, the, like it would take like thousand hours or something to earn, you know, like uh, Darth Vader or something within the game where you could pay a couple yeah. thousand dollars. So yeah, it was funny with Battlefront too. Like I, I looked at this quite in, in detail. Players are pretty savvy. They will actually put a pretty like they'll, they'll put a measuring stick to all of your different progression systems and put it down to the dollar and to the value. So something like Battlefront, I think it was like okay, you need to spend five thousand to ten thousand in order to unlock every cosmetic and every character and every weapon in the game um in any event so something like um, um overwatch you need to spend over a thousand bucks to get all the cosmetics they're pretty savvy in, in calculating this thing and making those headlines look amazing based on the spend depth but spend depth is economy depth right like if you right. want to have a compelling chase you need significant spend depth right um and it's just different ways of looking at it we might look at it in spend depth but in player time it's usually better but yeah players are savvy they'll, they'll put a measuring stick to that and in the case of Battlefront 2, they actually messed up and they didn't look at all the systems. They didn't actually include things like tasks, et cetera. So everything was just blown out of proportion. Um, you compare that to Fortnite and Rainbow Six Siege, which actually did a pretty good job of this. They actually put in their, like, in their advertisements for selling characters, for selling the Battle Pass, exactly how many hours they expect a player to actually take to beat them. Um, and then they put the math online. So then any of these Reddit communities can't post up, you know, fuck this battle pass. It takes 2000 hours in order to beat. Uh, they can't do that because there's the math right online. Interesting. All right. Right. Well, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I, I, from my perspective, respawn is doing extremely well. If they can replicate the same type of revenue in August that they did in July with the re release of the season pass. And I think the revenue will dictate how far, you know, <laughs> how they go forward is my thinking anyway, but we'll see. All right, the next article, um, GameStop leaves off 120 people or 14% of its total staff. Um, basically, our article is talking about GameStop. You know, they announced 120 layoffs. This is like, I think this is like uh, the office. Oh, my God, where is their office? Their office is in Houston or Dallas, one of the two. But anyway, I think this is like office stuff. This is not like the thousands and thousands of people that work at the store. So this is a relatively big layoff of, of, of back office people. Um, it's kind of a big deal. Um, this is kind of a latest in the year-long struggles of GameStop, which is basically losing, lose, they're actually not losing money, but their the revenue is declining. They had to sh shut down uh, the Think Geek brand and bring it in-house. They basically sold all their um, mobile stores uh, and they have done layoffs in the past. They also went through a huge management restructure uh, a few, I think, in mid mid year last year, maybe it was this earlier this year. God, I don't even remember now. So anyway, they're there's, they're under new management now. Um, so the other part of this is why it's getting more press is because you know the Game Informer crew, which is basically one of the last publications left in this industry, um, half that crew was was uh, cut, um, and it still remains a pretty good magazine. But uh, but you know the days of magazines are kind of old over at this point. Um, Let's see. I mean, I've been covering GameStop for like 12 years, right? And, uh, and I was the first on board to say that they were doomed because of this digital transition. And fundamentally, um, 
one thing you have to know about GameStop is that they had the most amazing retail operators in their management team. These guys were unbelievable. They created this buy, sell, uh, buy, uh, sorry, buy, trade, sell business with used uh, and, and translate their retail business into a huge, highly profitable business. Um, all because of these like amazing operators that, that were running the, running the company for, for years and years and years. Um, but the problem was is they focused so much attention on the used business and this buy-sell trade model that when things started to transition to digital, they lost all their inventory, right? So if you're selling 50% of your units digitally, then that's 50% of the inventory you don't have anymore. And so, so that created a huge problem for them in terms of, of, of maintaining inventories of use and, and continuing that trade buy-sell trade model. Um, and so their used business has been suffering. And because their used business is suffering, their profitability continues to deteriorate. So anyway, that's the biggest struggle that they have. So um, I don't know. It's, it, <clears throat> I just actually got off the phone with a potential client about GameStop, which I hadn't thought about for quite a while because it's been kind of DOA. I mean, the stock was at 50 at one point. Now it's $3.50. So it's almost, it's even worse than glue. Um, but, uh, but, you know, kind of where do they go from here? It's a really tough thing, right? Because they have an amazing footprint. They haven't really closed all that many stores over the years, uh, which may be the next thing to do. I guess the question is whether they double down and and focus on trying to build it up again with other types of business businesses, which is kind of what they were doing for the last four years with ThinkGeek and the stupid uh, mobile stuff. Um, or do they just manage it for cash and just kind of go into the ground? The thing is that the next gen consoles will actually be a boon for them, right? When PS4 and PS5 come out, sorry, PS5 and Xbox next come out next year, that actually might be really good for them because people will go to the stores to buy the hardware and likely buy software. They're still going to be using discs, et cetera. But the problem is, is that 50 or 60% of the revenue from day one is likely going to be digital, right? Um, given where this is transitioned to. So they're kind of in a tough spot. So I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. What I, what I, what I fundamentally think is that they will be around for quite a while because I think they still own um, the retail for um, games. And I don't think Target and Walmart and the rest of the uh, retail space is really investing all that much money in, in video games anymore. They're probably actually reducing footprint. So they may be the only place to go and get some of the types of games. But, um, but I think it's going to be a struggle for their new management team who are all like retail professionals uh, to kind of turn this thing around and, and, and make it a viable growing business again. I think um, so well, I'm not going to get into the, 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 the financials of it, but, uh, but they are still profitable. This year is going to be rough, but I think next year might be better for them. So maybe, maybe they'll have another life, another couple three or four years of life uh, left in them. Anyway, any of you guys have an opinion on this? Not a whole lot. I just have a few comments. I think the first is that, you know, just coming back to GameStop, which we covered a while back, we probably should start documenting some of our predictions because I, I think a lot of the a lot of our predictions I mean, were, were basically almost right on everything. The, the one thing that was looking kind of bad for us was the glue call, but now it's looking like that even that's right too. So we should probably create a doc somewhere that uh, that, that that documents our predictions. I, I will say that um, there are rumors about various PE firms. And just you know, uh, the games the biggest 
I think advantage GameStop has is their brand. And so, you know, they're going to have to make like a Netflix like transition to be successful. And they certainly do have a valuable brand, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if they have the management team who can help them make the right transition or have the right plan. So that's, what's going to be kind of difficult. Uh, Adam, did you have any thoughts or should we move on to our last article? Yeah, let's move on. I'm not going to add too much here. Okay. Last article is Sony agrees to acquire Spider-Man video game developer Insomniac from Polygon. And so Insomniac are the studio behind last year's uh, Marvel Spider-Man game, which sold over 13.2 million copies. And Sony announced they will acquire the studio, although financial terms weren't disclosed. And with this acquisition, that takes internal Sony, Sony studios up to 14. Other titles that uh, Insomniac have developed include Spyro the Dragon, Ratchet and Clank, Sunset Overdrive, and Resistance. The studio is based in Burbank, California, and Durham, North Carolina, and was founded uh, 25 years ago by current CEO Ted Price. One comment to note from the article was from Sean Layden, who is a chairman of Sony's Game Studios Worldwide, who suggested that while exclusive titles are still the priority, he hinted that Sony's Game Studios will be making a number of multi-platform titles, especially for multiplayer games. So, um, you know, I, the, the fact that that was specifically in there seems to indicate that maybe, you know, the, the studio is best known for narrative story-based stuff, but maybe they might be working on some multiplayer games. Who, who, who knows? Um, my own take on this is that, you know, Sony continues to go all in on narrative story-based games as this seems to be Insomniac's core strength. Uh, I will say that I do think Sony is making a much bigger commitment to acquiring top-tier development talent relative to Microsoft, which, at least in my opinion, has been acquiring studios that, in my opinion, just aren't quite at this level. They haven't released titles, at least just yet. Uh, in my opinion, that can move the needle for a platform choice. Uh, you know, Eric has also made a very good point in the past on previous twigs as well about the risks of going all in on just single player story-based games to the exclusion of other types of games. So I think that, you know, uh, moving forward, going outside of that will be the next big opportunity. So, uh, it, in, in terms of the implications of the current marketplace, I would say that if you're a you know, PC console studio who is good at multiplayer PvP games for PC and console, strategically, I think that Microsoft, Sony, and Google are gonna start coming at you really hard. Demand, in my opinion right now, is sky high for this kind of studio. I would expect a massive premium even for a mediocre studio of this type. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree. Like Sony continues to build its war chest of like single player store based game developers. Um, I've actually never been a huge fan of Insomniac. I mean, the Spider-Man game was absolutely amazing. So there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But historically, they did what Sunset Overdrive for Microsoft, which didn't do very well. Ratchet and Clank, which is beloved, by the way. I think there's a huge fan base of that game, but it's never had that much in my view, material success. Um, you know, ironically, the Oculus game that they came out, Edge of Nowhere, I think was one of the only games besides Super Hot that I actually finished on on, on, on my Oculus. Um, but Insomniac was super smart, right? They had an amazing success with Spider-Man. Their stock was up and they got sold, right? So it's a good time to sell. And I bet 
uh, their thinking is they can build the success. Now that we know that Spider-Man is out of the MCU, you know, like, and separated from uh, Disney, you know, so maybe, you know, they're doubling down on Spider-Man and so there'll be a Spider-Man shop, but I hope they're not just a Spider-Man shop. That's kind of disappointing if that would be the case. But nonetheless, I think people love this game and love, love that franchise. Um, but uh, yeah, I, th this is my thinking with Sony is that like, I, I can't disagree with their strategy. Like they have these amazing single player games. They have, you know, God of War, they have um, um, Last of Us, et cetera. And now they have a studio that can do Spider-Man. But they're, again, moving away from kind of where the puck is going to some degree. You know, like in order to differentiate their platform long term, I don't know if the single player story things are going to be the ones to do that. So meanwhile, I think Microsoft and others are going to be a lot more um, aggressive. And maybe they should be looking at things like, you know, like, developers are capable of doing things like Minecraft or Roblox, you know, to see where, where things are going. I mean, single-player story-based games are always going to be around. I think they're always going to be popular with this audience. I'm not, I'm not saying certainly saying that, but in terms of doing strategic acquisitions for their future, you know, the, the, the strength of their platform, um, they probably should look at things outside of that. But nonetheless, I think, you know, it's a great addition uh, to their overall studio org, but I think it's more of what they have instead of what they probably need uh, more long-term is kind of my thinking here but adam yeah no i agree with you um yeah the the difficult part here right is like this is of course a very smart acquisition for them to set up for the ps5 because any of these games are going to be strong for selling units of the playstation uh, this is the type of stuff that gets the headlines and this is also what sony is just amazing at like you look at what was it days gone back in the fall or back in the spring when they launched it with actually a pretty mediocre Metacritic, but still sold incredibly well. Sony is just amazing at selling these type of um, story-driven narrative games. And I think, yeah, Insomniac is the right acquisition. You know, you, you mentioned Sunset Overdrive. Sunset was a disaster, but it was also Microsoft pushing them outside of their comfort zone towards more of a service-driven title. Um, so, yeah, I think Sony will give them the budgets and the space to develop more of the single player games like Ratchet and Clank and like Spider-Man where they've actually proven that they can excel and avoid them going down uh, service chasing stuff. Mm. But um, yeah, next gen is creeping up. So the question is, will this philosophy actually be tested? Can Sony actually maintain this focus on single player and narrative games as the industry shifts towards more service titles? Because I think uh, it'll, it'll tell when, you know, will people still be buying God of War and Last of Us at 60 to 80 bucks when kids are now addicted to, or, or kids are then addicted to whatever that next gen Fortnite game is going to be when there's some sort of dominant service-based model. Over the last couple of years, right, you think about Fortnite, Fortnite was already big, eating, eating up all that space, might have been eating into the live services of games like Call of Duty, but it didn't seem to have much impact on Sony for God of War. Uh, or for Spider-Man. Um, so, so far, their business model hasn't really been tested. Um, but still, as you mentioned up above, uh, talking about multiplayer, um, right? Like Sony will try out multiplayer, but is most likely will have to come on the back of an acquisition. I just don't see Sony internally being able to get that done uh, just based on what their core competency is. Um, so then it becomes them paying at a significant premium, um, especially given the market, for what type of game can be that exclusive service-driven title like a Fortnite that every single 
um, player needs to join into. And I think it most likely has to be something like a Minecraft or Fortnite. And I'm thinking actually just demographically, um, something for the younger age group, because my sense is that the, the audience, um, which would be players like me, who love God of War and Last of Us, are slowly getting aged out of the market and their time is going down. Um, so if, if Sony wants to set themselves up to the future, they need to be thinking about what does that next generation play and that's much closer to Minecraft, much closer to Fortnite. Yeah, one other comment I want to make is that, you know, to your point in terms of like the price point, 60 to $80, if, if we really think about that in, in the context of, the, of where we are today, that's actually a, a, a bargain, right? Like people are kind of anchored to that price point, but when we think about inflation, where we think, when we think about where development budgets are going, that's, that's actually a really great deal. And the other risk that, that can occur is like, we're used to having these studios create these hits, but then you know, the risk is we're kind of expecting these, these studios to continue to make these big hits, but if they have one or two flops come up, then <laughs> that, that's a big risk coming up. Yeah. I forget, like you, you watched the documentary on God of War. How long did God of War take to make? Five years, six years? Yeah, and it was like, if there were a lot of ups and downs, like that could have gone the other way. <laughs> like it could have easily gone the other way. So like, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and that's the big risk because, you know, it's not going to always, uh, you know, turn out well. And, and so being able to weather that over uh, multiple titles, being able to keep the right team together, um, with the right creative direction and all that kind of stuff is, is very, very difficult. So, um, yeah, I mean, right now we're, we're in a situation where Sony's got a number of studios that are executing very well and where things have turned out for, for the, for, you know, for the good. But, you know, uh, I mean, if you, if you just play the numbers, uh, you know, if, and if, if, uh, if some of their studios go on a bad run, then, um, then things can, I mean, things could change. Yeah. And I, I so just to put another point on this, I've I've talked to a lot of fr friends at Sony, and 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 I've I've said this many times. Is, you know, they are pretty much drunk on their own success, right? They've just had an amazing cycle this time around, and so the type of investments that you need to make in order to be prepared for what's likely to come need to happen years ago. I mean, like it's like it's not like you can just start a team to build a compelling, you know, online game, right? you know, now and expect it to be out next year, it takes years and years of development. And so like things like Roblox and Minecraft are capturing the hearts and minds of a lot of the younger people. That's what they're going to be used to playing, right? And so when it, the time comes for them to transition to console, they're going to be looking for those type of experiences. And frankly, Sony just won't have them. I don't think any of their studios actually do online at all. Do they? I mean, like, I don't know. It, it seems like none of their games have that this stuff at all. And so you think of you know things like GTA and 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 uh, Call of Duty and all these games like with really robust online ecosystems, they just just don't have that capability. So, I you know I've said this many times. I think these guys are going to be locked and loaded for the next cycle. There's no reason for them to change, and I think that's a really risky place to be, <laughs> because mm -hmm. ultimately, you know, people will come up and make things that are super compelling that will pull people off of their platform um, and. There's no evidence that Sony is making any bets in, in this, this space that I can see. Um, and most of the feedback I get from people at Sony is that, again, management's not willing to change or do anything different because they're just cashing their checks and their bonuses every quarter and, and happy as clams, right? So, you know, we'll, we'll see. So Sony made, 
what was it last of us had that multiplayer component which i'm sure eric played a ton of hours on oh yeah of course <laughs> <laughs> i can't get through that game it's too freaking scary dude like, <laughs> I'm, I'm a i'm total care bear when it comes to that stuff but when it comes to these service-driven titles coming in the next generation um, I think what Sony's then afraid of is one of these service-driven titles being tied to another platform, right? Like Microsoft owning an exclusivity with whatever that next Minecraft is, whatever that next Fortnite is, um, or Steam or Epic or something like this. Um, because it's, it's unlikely that they're going to be, they're going to be a dominant platform and any of these service-driven titles are going to need to walk up to Sony just like Fortnite did. And, and work closely with them. So I think the only thing that Sony should be afraid of is say Microsoft, which is another console saying, we're gonna, we're gonna lock down this service driven title only to this console. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, but again, so with, with back in the history, there was a lot more exclusives that were going on that were differentiating the platforms. We're just not seeing that from third party anymore. So, um, so those are like table stakes. Like you'll get Destiny and Division across all platforms because that's the way the third parties are going to work. So, I mean, this is obviously the, <laughs> such an obvious statement, but the only way you really differentiate your platforms with exclusives that you have. And so Microsoft's building up the stable of, of, you know, single A, B type studios. B. And perhaps they can come up with, uh, sorry, I just lost my audio. So perhaps they will... Uh, you know, come up with a, with a service that's going to be super compelling for a huge audience that will just, you know, migrate to, to Microsoft for that particular piece of content. So the only example I could think of right now that's out there is Roblox. Let's say Microsoft, I know they already have Minecraft, but let's say Google acquires Roblox and Roblox is a huge sensation with kids now, right? And so they just basically capture that audience holistically because they have exclusive with, with Google, right? Um, and then hopefully Roblox figures out a way of like attracting a more broader audience getting older. Then that whole generation is lost to, to Google and not going to be going on Sony, you know, that kind of thing. Like, I think that's what likely they'll be caught with their pants down to some degree because they just have no capability of, of building anything like that. Right. You know, the metaverse, the ready player one stuff, right. That's, that's going to come right. These, these consoles are actually powerful enough to do this sort of thing. And with the backend and, and cloud-based infrastructure, they can support like these, this type of metaverse type of idea. And Sony just has no capability whatsoever in that, in that type of realm. You know, that's kind of my longer term thinking on that. Right. Although, one advantage for Sony though, is like for those multiplayer titles, um, a lot of them are highly CCU dependent. So generally speaking, it's the, there isn't as much incentive to be, you know, platform exclusive because generally you, you want to be as multi-platform as, broad as possible so at least for that kind of game i, I agree with you eric completely but I'm, I'm i'm just saying there's probably from a studio or developer studio perspective there will always be a discussion about mm, well we actually need as many players as possible to make any incentive not to be uh unlocked yeah but but otherwise definitely agree yeah i agree but th but then it really sounds like the only thing that sony should be afraid of for these service-driven titles would be coming from Microsoft or Google. Uh, enough that if one of them locked down that service to not ever come to the PlayStation and then actually pull units away from the PlayStation because you have to buy the Xbox, you have to buy the Stadia, not the PlayStation in order to access the game that everybody's playing. 
So they need to worry about Microsoft, basically. Yeah, and, and as we know from this podcast, we're such huge fans of Microsoft and all of their service-driven titles. So Sony has a lot to be afraid of. <laughs> Was that sarcasm? Yeah, yeah okay. Canadian sarcasm. You can't even yeah. tell. You're so, you're so flatlined that I, I just couldn't tell. Like, <laughs> you need some inflection in your voice to get that sarcasm off, Mr. Canada. <laughs> all right. Cool. So I think that's it. Unless there's are any final comments, that will be a wrap for Twig Forty Five. All right. Till next time. All right. Catch y'all later. Bye.